1: On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have
2: women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the
1: Bechdel cast.
3: Hey, Jamie.
2: What, Caitlin? It's me,
3: Caitlin. Um, your number one fan. Oh, shit. I've listened to every episode of the Bechdel cast. Whoa. I've read your writing support i've seen your stand-up do you do the matreon too i i I have access to the matreon yeah and i've listened to all those episodes wow it's only five dollars a month
2: with over a 100 episodes of backlog
3: yeah so either i'm your number one fan and i'm scary or (laughs) i'm just a really supportive friend i don't know or my co-host and you're scary (laughs) <laughs> I contain multitudes. It could be so many combinations of things.
2: Break my ankles. I dare you. Oh. I want a week off. How long is it? <laughs> Welcome to the Bechtel cast. That was a fun one. Mm-hmm. I was having...
3: Okay. Welcome to the Bechtel cast. My name is Jamie Loftus. My name is Caitlin Durante, and this is our show where we examine movies through an intersectional feminist lens using the Bechtel test simply as a jumping-off point, just a way to initiate a larger conversation about representation in media. Hmm. But, Jamie, yeah. what is the Bechtel
2: test? Oh, well, I'm glad you asked. After all these years... <laughs> The Bechdel test is a media metric created by queer cartoonist Alison Bechdel, sometimes called the Bechtel wallace test. Uh, it was originally created as just sort of a one-off joke examination in a comic she made in the 80s, uh, but now it is sort of used as a broad media metric to see how um, people of marginalized genders are treated in movies. So the version of the test that we use requires that Two characters of a marginalized gender with names speak to each other about something other than a man for more than two lines of dialogue. And it should be, you know, a narratively impactful exchange.
3: Do you think when Kathy Bates
2: talks to her female pig? <laughs> I wrote that down. I was like, when <laughs> Kathy Bates talks to Misery and they're oink oinking at each other, mm-hmm. it's not my favorite pass, but there's an but... argument for it. <laughs> Uh, I also think that when Kathy Bates breaks someone's ankles, it spiritually passes. That passes. In spirit. Mm -hmm. Um, But we have an incredible guest to help (laughs) tease apart the intricacies of what we would consider passing the Bechdel test today. So, uh, <laughs> yes, we do. So let's get them in the room.
3: She's an actress and host of Trials to Triumphs podcast. It's Ashley Blaine Featherson Jenkins.
2: Hi, hello and welcome. Hello. thank you. So you brought us the movie Misery I did. Yeah, welcome to our cabin, by the way.
0: Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I hope you feel
3: safe. I hope you feel secure. <laughs> I do. Thank you very much. Actually, I, I really do. Excellent. Um, <laughs> what is your relationship with this movie, maybe the book, Any anything related to this property?
0: It's, you know, it's definitely the movie. I, you know, I was born in 87. So, you know, mystery came out, I believe, in 1990. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, it was a movie that my, my family, my parents talked about. And then once I got old enough to watch it, well, I probably watched it before I should have been watching it. That's all. <laughs> we should put that on the record. Love um, that, yeah. But, you know, I mean, I fell in love with it. It's it's such a, it's a well done film. Mm-hmm. It's a well acted film. It is an emotional film that somehow Kathy Bates still gives us moments of odd levity i don't even know if levity is the word but she still kind of makes you laugh Mm -hmm. uh you know we're solving a mystery well we know the answer to the mystery but like you know this town (laughs) is solving a mystery you know it's Uh it's got everything you you could want in a film yeah but yeah i i love it i've always like and it's one of my husband's favorite movies he watches it anytime it's on tv okay Uh, nice he's that guy
2: Love it. Yeah, babe, get in the room. Misery's on. And you're like, wow, I feel so (laughs)
0: safe. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I'm like, this again? Do we need to see the part where she's taking off his feet? I don't want to see. I don't want to see the sledgehammer. I don't want to see it.
3: I saw that clip before I watched the movie. So I guess, so my relationship and, you know, history with this movie, I've never read the book, but I knew about... The movie and the story, just through kind of cultural osmosis, I had seen the clip of the ankle, just like
2: <laughs> with the sledgehammer. It's hamper. so bad. The sound, it's just like it's... the sound haunts me the most. Stresses me. Out. Yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> so, I I I had seen that clip, and then I watched the full movie in college this would have been like probably 15 years ago now and i hadn't watched it since so i didn't fully remember like what a good movie this is Mm -hmm. you're right it's like very well like very well acted structurally like from a screenwriting point of view oh good job Mr. William (laughs) Goldman, famous screenwriter. (gasps) Um, It's almost like that guy knows what he's doing. (laughs) It's almost like he's an expert in his craft. (laughs) Uh, But um, yeah, I enjoy this movie. I'm excited to talk about it. I think it'll be an interesting discussion through our Bechtelcast lens. I'm still kind of processing.
2: Yeah, I have a lot of questions for the room. Yes. Okay.
3: Um, Jamie, what's your relationship with it?
2: I also did take in a lot of this movie kind of through cultural osmosis. Uh, I watched this movie with a friend last night and we both very strongly remembered seeing this movie parodied in an episode of the Animaniacs um, in the nineties. And I think that that was my, operating knowledge and like those clip shows of like i love the 90s like i totally knew about this movie via Mm -hmm. that and i knew i loved kathy bates because Uh, she's in titanic oh my gosh (laughs) the unsinkable molly brown herself yeah uh, annie wilkes you know more sinkable let's say uh (laughs) perhaps sinkable um but i i hadn't seen this movie before i watched it in the early pandemic uh, lockdown, where mm-hmm. I was just—it was, you know, chaos mode. Um, I was like, "Who's got it? Who's got it worse right now?" And and I think it was actually coming up a lot because they're like, "Oh, it's—we all feel like James Caan in misery." And you're like, "Oh <laughs> yeah. no." Anyways, I watched it for the first time then, and I really enjoyed it. But I wasn't watching it through a Bechdel Cast lens. I was just watching it for a thriller and to uh, cathartically also see someone inside trapped inside <laughs> yes so revisiting it uh, a couple years later was really really interesting and I also think this movie rocks I didn't realize it was directed by Rob Reiner question mark it, it like, yeah. doesn't feel like but it's so good mm-hmm. that you're like all right Rob Reiner I guess <laughs> that you can direct something terrifying that's not how I associate him he's eclectic Look, he's got range, everyone in this movie has range, Mm -hmm. and I'm very excited to talk about it. And I was also really excited to read what Stephen King had to say about it, because we've covered Mm. a couple, I wanna say, how, how, have we just covered Carrie for a Stephen King? No, no we, we covered, covered The Shining. Shining. We covered a few. Mm-hmm. And Stephen King, um, you know, I, I, I want to, you know, defend my fellow New Englanders, but he's kind of all over the map when it comes to writing female characters. And mm-hmm. like it's so it's it, I'm interested uh, to unpack it because I feel like Annie Wilkes, spoiler alert, I think she's a really good character. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Yes. <laughs> she rocks. Yeah. Dare I say I'm rooting for her, but that's not how you're supposed to feel.
3: I mean Uh. on one hand, I I resent any movie that makes me that wants me to root against Kathy Bates. On the other hand, I support any character who is trying to stop male artists from making art (laughs)
2: so well yeah there's so many fun ways to come at this movie that i didn't like i just at first was watching it for like whatever's happening i'm i'm in full support this is great but like yeah there's a way to watch it that is like a parasocial relationship cautionary tale Mm -hmm. and then my my favorite read of this movie which is from Stephen King that I wasn't aware of before I was just doing background for this episode was Mm -hmm. that when he was writing the novel which I also have not read the novel but Mm. I looked up the differences it's not too many Mm. except oh here's a fun one Mm. so in the movie she kills the sheriff with just like a gun Mm -hmm. in the book she like runs him over with a tractor she like super kills him (laughs) yeah she like she really i know uh (laughs) but stephen king um had substance abuse issues he had a a cocaine problem for a really long time Mm -hmm. and when he was writing misery he was thinking of annie wilkes as his cocaine addiction Mm -hmm. and himself as the writer and so like there was a whole other read of this movie where annie is like just this representation of addiction mm-hmm. like keeping this like writer who writes all these famous books um, trapped yeah mm. fascinating
0: yeah that's deep
2: right I was like I, I was like all right all right Stephen King you got me <laughs> Hmm. yeah I, I can't wait to, to
3: dive into it more mm-hmm. uh, shall I do the recap let's do it first and foremost yes okay so we meet Paul Sheldon played by James Kahn. He is an author who finishes the novel he's been working on in a remote cabin in Silver Creek, which is probably in Maine because Stephen King sets all of his (laughs) stories in Maine. It's in
2: Colorado.
3: This is in Colorado. Okay. Just kidding.
2: I don't know why, but it is.
3: I guess The Shining is also set in Colorado. So you've got Colorado and Maine, and those are the only two states Stephen King cares about. He loves the cold. He's a
0: winter. I know. He loves snow as a backdrop. He really does. I (laughs) do too, actually. I'm into it.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, snow-related danger.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Seems harder to get out of.
2: Right?
1: Yeah,
3: yeah. It's treacherous. (laughs) So Paul celebrates finishing his novel by smoking a cigarette and drinking a glass of champagne. Then he gets in his car with the manuscript, drives off but it's snowing heavily because he's in the Rocky Mountains. The roads are slippery and he slides off the road and rolls down an embankment. Ugh. We then flashback to Paul talking to his literary agent played by Lauren Bacall.
2: Love that. I, oh, mm-hmm. yes, what a treat. Right? What a legend. <laughs> Sorry, really quick. I just wanted to uh, make note of any, any movie of this era when there's a car crash, You get to see the whole car crash. They just like, they just wreck a whole car. I feel like that doesn't (laughs) happen anymore.
3: (laughs) So this is early 90s. So practical effects are pretty much the only option. They did like car crashes these days in movies are like
2: all CGI. Yeah. But yeah, they're like, well, we have to do a car This is not a Dominic Toretto car crash. This is just (laughs) like a car rolling down the hill in Colorado. It was, right. I don't know, it's cathartic just to see an old school practical car crash.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Yep.
3: Okay, so in this flashback, Paul is talking to Lauren Bacall, and he's explaining to her why he killed off a beloved character in his famous book series entitled The Misery Series, named for the main character whose name is Misery. Basically, he wants to get away from this series and work on other projects. Mm -hmm. We cut back to him in his car. He's bloody and unconscious, someone pries his car door open pulls him out and carries him off paul then wakes up in a bed in the home
2: of annie wilkes played by kathy bates quick question Mm. would the minions have worked for annie wilkes if they existed at the time (laughs)
3: thoughts (laughs) well since the minions famously work for the
2: most evil person they can find, right? Is that- I guess she didn't cut the mustard in terms of evil. There must have been someone more evil active at mm-hmm. that time. Who
3: was the most evil person in
2: 1990? Oh, I mean, we we have we have options. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, that's uh, that's Jamie's minions corner for the week. Just some food for thought. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
3: So Annie Wilkes, uh, Paul is in her home. She tells Paul that she is his number one fan. She loves all of his books. She's read them all. Uh, she's also a nurse, and she's going to take care of him while he recovers from this car accident in which he has been badly injured. Both of Paul's legs are broken as well as one of his arms. Mm-hmm. Uh, she gives him pain pills. She has like put splints on his legs. He's like, well, why didn't you take me to a hospital? And she says, the blizzard was too strong. But once the roads are clear, I'll take you to the hospital. Uh, he also wants to call his agent and his daughter. And Annie says, oh, but the phone lines are down because of the blizzard. So you can't.
2: I do love that he does do like in terms of, I don't know how you, I
0: would you call it? Is this a horror movie? Is this a thriller movie? I don't really know what the exact genre is. I think it's a it's thriller suspense. I would say it's in that right mm-hmm. wow. with some
2: horrific imagery. Uh, yeah, there's sure there's some overlap because I it, I just appreciate that James Cotton's character so Paul Paul, I like that he does do everything that a person would do in this situation. He doesn't like mm-hmm. do the horror movie thing where he's like, all right, and you know just like he does challenge her at every right. turn in a way that like made sense well and maybe
3: there's a discussion about this as far as gender goes but sure. the way men are written in horror movies is very different from the way women are written in horror movies when it's like yeah mm-hmm. a female protagonist when they're written by men they are written in such mm-hmm. a way where they don't use logic <laughs> right yeah so yeah perhaps we'll talk about that um perhaps oh perhaps a little foreshadowing <laughs> Um, Okay, so meanwhile, um, Lauren Bacall calls the local sheriff of Silver Creek. She Lauren Bacall. She Lauren makes a Bacall and she calls Buster, (laughs) the sheriff, and she's like, hey, no one has heard from Paul and I know that he was there in your town, so any thoughts? And he's like, don't worry, I'll investigate. Mm -hmm. We cut back to Annie and Paul. Annie reiterates that she's his biggest fan and that she's been following him. And we're like, oh, mm-hmm. she asks about his new manuscript and he lets her read it. But then she complains oh. to him about all the swearing in the book and she kind of snaps. She starts yelling. She spills soup all over him. But then she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And also, I love you, Paul. And then we're like,
2: double, uh-oh. Dun dun dun, and and we also know that Paul has killed off the like her favorite character, right? The, the I think that that is like my favorite bit of tension in this movie is like waiting for Kathy Bates to get to the end of the book, mm-hmm. and then she goes nuclear, yeah.
3: But prior to that, she has this little episode, and mm-hmm. Paul is starting to realize, oh, she might not be entirely stable. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Buster, the sheriff, is looking into Paul's possible disappearance. He is near Paul's car, which is now completely covered in snow. Um, so the sheriff misses it. He doesn't see it.
2: Also, the, the sheriff's his wife, Virginia. I just want to give oh. her a quick shout out because she is an iconic character. Amazing. <laughs> She's the best.
3: I, okay, I don't like that this movie is also making me root for a cop and his deputy. But I re- I found their on screen relationship very fun to watch. So sweet. <sighs>
2: yeah, I love how she was like, was she about to jerk him off in the car or something? <laughs> and then he's like, we're at work. <laughs> I was like, all right, this is this is good horny representation. <laughs> good for them. Because at first you don't know they're married, and she's
3: like putting her hand on his leg, and we're like, oh no, what is about? Yeah, to, what is
0: this inappropriate? Yeah, and then she's yeah. like,
3: and then he, and then Buster's like babe when you're in the car you're not my wife you're my deputy and it's like okay they're married (laughs) still inappropriate when they're on the job
2: i actually don't know whether that comes from like stephen king or william goldman or both but Mm. i just like those moments of levity are so fun like i just i love virginia i wish we got more of virginia um you know after buster is uh no longer with us where's the virginia spinoff series (sighs) This movie has gotten a lot of spin-offs, spin-offs uh, but all of them have to do with Annie Wilkes, which I guess makes mm, sense. Lizzie sure. Kaplan played her on a TV show that I Whoa, did not I didn't, watch. Huh, I did not even know that. <laughs> yeah. She plays like the young Annie Wilkes who, getting Who's into murdering murder babies. bag. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I don't know. I didn't watch it. Uh, but And then it was also a Broadway show starring uh, Laurie Metcalf, and she won a Tony for it,
3: which
1: no also kidding. sounds pretty good.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah. I had no idea there was so much misery content out there. The Misery Expanded Universe, <laughs> like don't rule out the Virginia story. <laughs> oh, you mean the MCU, the Misery <laughs> Misery Cinematic, cinematic.
3: Universe. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Okay. So,
2: Annie
3: continues shirt. to be very creepy. She fawns over Paul's new book. So, here's something that was confusing to me. The newest misery book in his like misery series has just been released and is being sold at bookstores. So, Annie gets a copy of that. So, she's reading that and his manuscript. So, when she's talking about like what she's reading, I was never quite clear if it was his published book or his unpublished manuscript. She's reading both concurrently, it seems. So that's happening. And then Annie finishes the new book, the published one, and learns that Paul has killed off the misery character, which absolutely devastates Annie. She lashes out. She says she can't be around him. She needs to leave. And Mm -hmm. she also reveals to him... No one knows that he's there. She never called his agent or daughter uh, like she said she did. And he's like even more isolated Yeah. now. So Annie drives off and Paul is trapped in her house with two broken legs and he can't walk. So he crawls out of bed. But oh no, he is locked in his room. So the next day Annie comes back and she's like, I know how we'll solve this. God showed me the way you're going to burn this manuscript. And she knows this is the only copy. And she also starts dumping lighter fluid on him. So he has no choice but to burn his manuscript.
2: Yeah, her like just being the super fan and knowing all this information that like, she's like, no, because like, oh, it's just so scary. It's so scary. It just like a number of times in the movie, she
3: uses her like super fandom knowledge of him mm -hmm. against him. Cause he's like, right. he, he's tries to be like, well, there's a bunch of copies floating around publishers. And she's like, you said on an interview 11 years ago that you only, you don't make copies cause you're superstitious. So I know that this is the only copy and I'm making you burn it.
2: And he's like, busted. It's like meeting the person who edits your Wikipedia or your, you're like, <laughs> no, not your wiki, your, your wiki feet page. Uh, <laughs> and, and they want to kill you. Yikes. It's, oh, it's so good in the book i guess that um and i was like this is like an interesting i guess i don't know what i prefer i think i prefer the movie in the book there is more than it's like a a copy of the book does survive and he when he escapes at the end he publishes the original copy he wrote and it becomes a big hit he Mm. doesn't rewrite it Mm. i think i like it better when he rewrites it and it's about ptsd
3: sure yeah i don't know Okay, so Paul has burnt his manuscript, and then Annie sets him up in a wheelchair with a desk, a typewriter, and expensive paper so that he can write a new manuscript, one where misery isn't actually dead, and one where he's paying tribute to Annie for saving his life and nursing him back to health. (laughs) And he's like, okay, but I can't write on this paper, it smudges which is just an excuse to get her to leave and which upsets Annie and it makes her feel like he doesn't appreciate her. So she storms off to go get this other type of paper. Mm -hmm. While she's gone, Paul picks up a bobby pin that has been left on the floor and uses it to unlock the door to his bedroom. But
2: like he does in his books. I I Mm. love that sequence. He's like, well, it does work.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's one of my favorite sequences in the movie. For sure. It's great. Yeah.
2: Um, But I guess the
3: front door to the house is locked from the outside. So he can't get out. Right. So he's going around the house trying to find a way to escape the telephone. Like she has disabled the telephone. So he can't even like make a call. Mm -hmm. He hears her coming back. So he scrambles back to his room. Relocks the door with the bobby pin just in the nick of time. Meanwhile, Paul's car is finally found. The like, Area law enforcement thinks Paul is dead in the woods somewhere, but Buster the sheriff doesn't think so, so he keeps searching.
2: And then you get that amazing scene with him in Virginia where Virginia's on the phone being like, I don't know where he is. He's probably out cheating on me. (laughs) She's like the least professional person in the world.
3: (laughs) I love Virginia. Yeah. She's the best. Okay, so then at Annie's insistence, Paul starts writing a new manuscript. Annie doesn't approve at first so she makes him start over he begins a new version which Annie loves and then Paul is like oh will you have dinner with me tonight Annie he's clearly you know like cooking up another scheme Mm -hmm. which is that he puts the pain meds that he has been stockpiling in her glass of wine to drug her but Mm -hmm. oh crumbs she spills her glass of wine and his plan doesn't work oh it's so good it's uh, ah i love this movie so then paul keeps writing this book annie is reading each new chapter as he finishes it she's loving it some time passes i don't really know how much i'm thinking like a couple weeks or so enough to like get him a little bit more healed up And she's getting sad because, oh, she loves him. And she knows that he doesn't love her back. And his book is almost done. And his legs are getting better. So soon he will have no reason to be there anymore. And then Annie pulls out a gun and says something about how she thinks about using it sometimes. And we're like, oh, the stakes are getting higher. Oh, don't do that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, That monologue is like so we'll talk about it, but it's like, it's, it's just great. Yeah.
3: Mm -hmm. Then Paul finds a bunch of newspaper clippings that suggest Annie has killed a lot of people, including her husband, other nurses, a bunch of babies at the maternity ward of the hospital. Yeah. She doesn't really discriminate who she'll kill. (laughs) Really anyone, uh, it seems. Yeah. Uh, So Paul is really like, I need to get the fuck out of here. But then she drugs Paul, and when he wakes up, she has strapped him to the bed, and she basically intends to keep him trapped there forever. Then we get the moment that I believe the movie is best known for, which is when she takes a sledgehammer to both of his ankles so that he can never get away.
2: Uh, yeah. A scene you can <laughs> That feel. monologue, too. Oh, it's so good. She, I mean, she went, this is the only fun... Fun fact from the IMDb mm-hmm. page. Um, this is the only, so Kathy Bates won an Oscar for playing Annie Wilkes mm-hmm. and it's the only uh, Stephen King movie nominated that's ever actually won an Oscar. No kidding. Yeah, including I mean, well like, deserved.
3: He also wrote, I mean, he wrote, you would think Shawshank Redemption would have won something. That's what I say. They. Yeah. I, I guess
2: that they got snubbed across the board i forget that shawshank redemption is a stephen king thing
3: yeah 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 wait jamie did you say a scene that you can feel similar to nicole kidman saying sound that you can
2: feel yes
3: the best thing ever made the amc commercial
2: you know i would say when it comes to annie wilkes cabin heartbreak does not feel good in a place (laughs) like that (laughs) (laughs) That somehow heartbreak feels, feels bad
3: in a place like annie Wilkes' cabin yeah because not only is your heart breaking so are your ankles <laughs>
2: yeah, that's true yikes oh your ankles and your will to live wow
3: <laughs> yes uh okay so he his ankles are badly broken um then annie goes back into town and sheriff buster sees her and he's like hmm hang on a minute. There's something peculiar about this Annie person. Meanwhile, Paul is back at the cabin and he's like, well, I guess this is my life now. Annie comes back home and puts Paul in her basement. And then Sheriff Buster comes over to Annie's house and wants to look around. Mm-hmm. He discovers Paul in the basement, but just then Annie murders him with uh, murders, Buster, the sheriff with a shotgun. And she's about to kill both Paul and herself But to save himself, Paul is like, No, 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 Annie, I I do love you. and, And I want you to help me finish this book. So there's a sequence where he's finishing the book, she's all happy, and they're gonna celebrate and he needs his champagne, and his cigarette and a match to light the cigarette. Mm -hmm. but he has when he was in the basement he had procured a canister of lighter fluid and so when she goes to get the champagne he dumps the lighter fluid all over his manuscript and burns it and she's like oh my god what the hell and then there's a big scuffle they're you know violently fighting with each other
2: and it's a it's brutal i mean that i always um surprised again by how and she comes back to life at one point oh it's just brutal Yeah.
3: And it finally culminates in Paul killing Annie. And then we cut to sometime later, he has obviously been found and rescued. He's made a Lauren Bacall. He he made a Lauren Bacall and got to safety and his ankles have healed. He's able to walk again. And he meets with Lauren Bacall and he has a new book. And also he talks about he basically, you know, he, he describes his PTSD where he, while he knows that Annie is dead, he still, like, sees her on, and he's kind of tormented by the thought of of her in general.
2: The concept of a brunette, and then at the end. And the end, uh, like,
3: a, a, a server comes up to him, and she's like, Hi, Paul, I'm your biggest fan. Dun-dun. And we're like, oh, and that's the end of the movie. So let's take a quick break and we will come right back to discuss.
1: Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black.
0: I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles.
1: Experience the music and her story.
0: Know this. I ain't no spy girl.
1: Like never before. As my daughter. as my Amy. On the big screen.
0: I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy
1: Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute, without parent. Only in theaters May 17th.
0: Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're
1: highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days.
2: and we're back. Wow. Uh, Where, where shall we start the discussion? Uh, Ashley? what, what jumps out to you?
0: I first want to start with just I did some research too. And I thought it was just this is kind of an aside. Mm. But I thought it was crazy. How many people that this film was offered to that wasn't James Caan or Kathy Bates? Yeah. Ooh, Wait, who? So the part of Paul Sheldon, who ended up being played by James Caan Mm -hmm. was offered to literally, the names are endless. Ah (laughs) William Hurt twice. They offered it to him twice. (laughs) Okay. And he declined both. But they came back and were like, are you sure, Ke- uh, William? I guess he was like, no. Mm. <laughs> Kevin Klein, Michael Douglas, Harrison Ford, Dustin Hoffman, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Richard Dreyfus, Gene Hackman, and Robert Redford. All of these people said no. Wow. And I guess, Holy oh, cow. and Warren Beatty was interested in it.
3: Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: But wanted to like change some stuff with the character. And I guess they were like, Warren, we don't have time for all this. Do you want to do the movie or not? <laughs> And he was like, no, actually, I don't. And so I was like, like, I'll
2: just keep doing Dick Tracy.
0: Yeah. It, yeah. And, and then and then he eventually had to literally drop out officially. I guess he used the Dick Tracy as kind of, you know, the reasoning for that. But J- I, I don't know how it got to James Conn, but I don't know if they were like, listen, James, we've reached out to 400 people. Are you down to do it? All
3: more famous than you?
0: Yeah. yeah. And James was like. Yeah, at the time. Like, I I imagine it was, like, super simple. He was like, yeah, like, how are you shooting for a month? I can do that. Like, and then it became this amazing movie. And then Annie Wilkes was um, offered to Angelica Houston, Uh, which is, like, amazing. And Bette Midler. Hmm. Both turned it down. And Bette Midler is, uh, she said publicly that she's, deeply regretted the decision to turn down the character
3: well she was busy prepping for hocus pocus yeah yeah yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) but i i I just like that as like a just uh, an entry point Mm -hmm. or like i said an aside i guess just because it's such an iconic film and so many people turned it down. I love hearing those stories yeah. right. where it's like, it was obviously exactly who it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be James Corden and, and Kathy Bates, mm-hmm. but it could have been so many other people
2: wild to think about.
0: And I just think it's like
2: wild that um, <laughs> I, I just can't get over the fact that this is a Rob Reiner movie on, on top of everything else. And then this is like Rob Reiner and William Goldman collaborate I think back to back doing this and they had just done the Princess Bride adaptation Mm -hmm. together three years before Mm -hmm. and then they're like okay change of pace what if we did (laughs) Misery and both of those movies are so iconic it's Mm -hmm. like it's wild yeah
3: incredible Mm -hmm. so my as I said I'm still kind of like processing Mm -hmm. this movie because I do think there are a number of ways to look at it. Um, Yes. I was kind of initially struck by the thrillers of this era of which there are several where women are the scary person, the captor, the abuser, you know, like the, the villain of the movie who are often targeting men. Not always. You've got like single white female um where it's two women but if you're thinking about like fatal attraction yeah there's another the fatal one we've covered on area. the show
2: and the and the woman is always killed at the end yes mm-hmm. yeah
3: so she she's punished and so i'm trying to think of it where i'm like is this sort of just like a like a screenwriting like creative choice where writers are thinking of ways to subvert situations and expectations because statistically in real life it's men who are more often abducting people and uh abusing them and and being scary and creepy mm-hmm. so is this just like a, a writer's way of saying ooh what if we you know what if it's a twist what if it's a woman this time or is it like male writers villainizing women because of sexist reasons Is it something else? Is it all of the above? I, I'm very curious about creative choices like this is what I'm saying. And like, what is the, what are the implications of that? What are the motivations behind making choices like that?
0: You know, I think that media has, and entertainment has kind of brainwashed society into being really into and intrigued by you know, the unhinged, quote unquote, woman, Mm -hmm. you know, there's something, I think it's because, you know, societal norms tell us that women are hinged. We're not unhinged. Mm -hmm. We are supposed to have it together and take care of the family and be the wives and the mothers and the whatever. The homemakers, you know, Mm -hmm. obviously this is a very antiquated Sure, sure. view but I'm just you know it's like a blanket statement as far as like the way society sees women
2: absolutely I mean yeah
3: those are the expectations society has for women
2: and Annie Wilkes like understands that too and like leverages it against people which I kind of for sure like.
0: but I think that this movie definitely played to that it played to the interest that mm-hmm. society and and consumers of entertainment are really that are really into the, like you said, the shock of like, oh, this is something different. This mm. lady is unhinged. She's mm. she's you know she doesn't have it together, and she's scary and and creepy. And and also there's a thing about women being obsessive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a thing about that. I think that's that's a, a major theme in this film and in the book. Is it's it's obsession and i think when we when we tend to see obsession in media and entertainment it's typically the woman is obsessed with the man like specifically obsession i don't think you see as often the other way you see it very often with a woman being obsessed with a man, or a man situation,
2: mm-hmm. or if there's a man who's obsessed with a woman, we've talked like the the stalker, like how men, especially in movies of this era, are like are often stalking the person that they want to be with but it's not framed as a bad thing it's a framed as like he's going for it he's gonna win her over yes
0: yes that's what I mean, yeah. I mean it's, it's cloaked in a different way yeah for yeah for sure yeah I was thinking about this as well I um
2: I, th- I think a good uh kind of like if I mean I'm sure that there's some a- crossover between our listeners and her listeners as well. But friend of the cast, Karina Longworth did a wonderful series on mm-hmm. uh, the erotic eighties. This is technically a nineties movie, but it feels like an eighties movie it came out in 1990. It's a cusp, right? but that sort of examines a lot of these issues and a lot of the cultural stuff because, because yeah, this is like the fatal attraction era where it feels like there was this uptick in designing these female villains who are I feel like in a lot of cases highly like reclaimable and have a lot of layers that you can go back and find amazing stuff in but at the time feel more like a cultural anxiety about women come to life where you know, we talked about in our fatal attraction episode a couple of years ago, how mm-hmm. Glenn Close's character is like, you can't have it all. And like they're like, mm-hmm. and anxiety is around women aging, which I think is also present in Annie's character and just any woman yeah. who is othered by society, um, whether it's by how she looks or how old she is or like the fact that she doesn't have kids, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, It feels like people are always, especially in this era, which I think is interesting, always looking to make that the most evil thing that's ever happened and have it happen to such a nice guy, Uh, which Mm -hmm. is, and I love, I kept writing down in my notes, Paul as definitely not Stephen King is (laughs) on a little trip, but I, but culturally It makes me think about just when I was working on the Kathy podcast, just reading about women's media in the 80s in general, Mm -hmm. skewed so far in this direction. It seems like partially in response to, um, you know, the 70s were a pretty progressive time with exceptions, but like a more progressive time for women and women's rights than really any other time up till that point, and then the right. '80s and early '90s were just a period of regression and fucking Reaganomics and just like completely trying to repackage the collective progress people had made and turn it into a consumer product. Mm -hmm, And it feels like these characters and these women are, are a big part of that of are a big part of like, Oh, you think you wanted to like live on your own. You think you wanted to like not live in this, you know, what is considered like this normal nuclear thing well guess what Annie Wilkes is like that and she's a murderer or like (laughs) right this is what (laughs) happens to a liberated woman who
3: right you know lives on her own and doesn't have children she'll become a murderer
2: which I don't know if that like wholesale applies to this story but it's like there's definitely Annie Wilkes is like a part of uh, Trent but that's part of why I like this movie it's like that reading is right there and then or also if you you know, happened to come across this interview that Stephen King did in 2006, you can view the character in a completely different way because she's, a, you know, the addiction monster come to life. But mm-hmm. also, why do you make the creative choice to make the addiction monster, of uh, you know, a woman who is over 40? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. there's so many questions. Right. Mm-hmm. There's certainly implications there.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. This is just like something that I find endlessly fascinating in terms of like we have certain societal and cultural expectations of women to yeah to be the ones to like hold things together and you know be domesticated and 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 stuff like that so to subvert that and and in this version of the subvert this version of the subversion what caitlin swish (laughs) um You have completely, quote unquote, unhinged women who are obsessive and stalkers and, you know, abductors and and murderers. And not to say this never happens in real life, but it's also far less likely that it would be a woman than a man doing these things. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I just like, I still don't know quite how to process it I don't know
2: I guess what I will because I also (laughs) am actively having like and which I feel like does speak to how good the movie and ostensibly the book is that like it's not a very easily answered question where I guess that like Stephen King did pull from a real person Mm -hmm. to build out this character a nurse who it sounds sort of adjacent to um munchausen's by proxy like she's Mm -hmm. she would make children sick and then quote unquote cure them but couldn't always cure them and um was responsible for a number of children dying on her watch and so like Mm. he's pulling from something it's like not happening in a vacuum which i feel like is helpful Mm -hmm. but i don't know like yeah there are just like so many so many reads of it and Well, I okay, so if we're talking about Annie, I feel like it is, there are a lot of tropes that we're talking about at play where Mm -hmm. I feel like her her body is not like directly commented on, but it feels like the camera comments on her body a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It feels like the use of the pig is a bizarre roundabout like joke at her expense. And I I was struggling with it because it's like this isn't something that the movie is like, outright telling you in a way that you might expect a movie of this era to do of just like absolutely making a joke of a woman's body that isn't like rigidly thin. Right. Which did happen in the the original reviews of this movie. Mm. Like Kathy Bates's body was commented on extensively and extremely rudely. And I don't
3: even want to quote it here. Yeah. I was going to say not surprising.
2: (laughs) Right.
0: Oh, like people had an issue with her body type
2: no they just were like you know the way that the character was described it was like leading with like a middle-aged overweight woman like that oh wow i think a good comparison here is have you both seen 10 cloverfield lane yes yeah yeah it's like such a similar premise but the it's a gender swapped premise and from like 30 years later or whatever Mm. Um, but John Goodman is trapping Mary Elizabeth Winstead in the basement and Mm -hmm. she can't escape and the twist is different but it's like kind of a similar premise in that it's like a middle-aged person who's not rigidly thin is trapping someone in their house but the reviews for 10 Cloverfield Lane and the way that John Goodman's character is talked about is is very different than Annie Wilkes I mean granted that the plot goes in a different direction but I, I it I don't know. I I was thinking a lot about 10 Cloverfield Lane when I was doing this watch. Right. But
3: that's all that's just very indicative of the way society views women's bodies versus men's bodies where like yeah. if a woman is a villain in a story, c- consumers of that story will be like, "Yes, she's a villain because she's like not traditionally beautiful or like right. or you know, just any any number of awful comments. Like that, but I think it's it's not a coincidence that an actor like Kathy Bates was cast to play Annie, and considering the other mm-hmm. actors who were considered Angelica Houston and Bette Midler, amazing actors, extremely talented, but these are three women who are not considered like classically beautiful by Western beauty standards. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's very deliberate that again like someone like Kathy Bates is cast to play Annie because yes she she's an older woman um her body type is not a Victoria's Secret model type you know it's the way that like most famous like A-list actresses your you know female actors look a very certain way
0: yeah it it feels like that's what they were trying to say Mm
2: -hmm.
0: like this is what unhinged looks like right like this is Mm -hmm. this is what it looks like to us does it look like that to you audience? Right. Like it almost is like uh, subconsciously they're trying to convince us that like this is the way it would look in in reality. This is what this type of captor would look like. This is mm-hmm. what and um again it's it's not really in your face. You know, it's kind of like uh it's subtle in, in a mm-hmm. way, but but I agree. I think it's it was it was still very intentional. Right. Yeah. And yeah. we have to decide what is it saying, and is that okay that that's what it's saying? you know
2: it feels like the subtext is like, how could this woman possibly be happy, normal, and well adjusted yes.
0: <laughs> just like of course she has you know of course she has this, and i at first, you know her backstory, I thought just about the children at the hospital and her being the nurse, you know, kind of her past life. Mm-hmm. At, at first, I looked at it as like, oh, that's really good, like character development backstory. Like, that's really helpful and useful. But then when you think about it, it's also like, well, what is that saying, too? Like, it's like her backstory is kind of like, did children have, is she someone who children had to die on her watch and she had to have this horrific backstory in order to be this person who's now doing this, you know? Yeah, it's,
2: uh, it just like introduces so many questions. I do. I appreciate... I just happened to watch Fatal Attraction the other night at a hotel. Oh, <laughs> um brag. I was having a normal one. Okay. okay. Um, yeah, I was at a La Quinta. Uh, oh, okay. La Quinta Inn. Yeah, okay. yeah. It was a continental breakfast with the wet sausage that they serve at continental <laughs> breakfasts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, mm. But I, I was taking in Fatal Attraction, so it's fresh in my mind as well. And I do feel like you'd get more background about Annie Wilkes than I expected and I feel like you do get more background on Annie Wilkes than you do for your average quote-unquote unhinged woman yes which is good and I and I would argue you get more background on Annie than you do on Paul really in mm-hmm. terms of like mm-hmm. what her history is and her history is uh you know horrific uh <laughs> but we mm-hmm. know about it <laughs> and mm-hmm. um and that does help in a way and I also a uh, big thing unless I missed it so correct me if I'm wrong they do not attribute a specific mental illness to Annie within the movie is that mm-hmm. right not that I noticed no yeah. yeah that also I know we've talked about this a billion times but that also I was relieved because mm-hmm. I feel like Often, I mean, you could argue the opposite and say, like, oh, you know, we're implying that women are, you know, like fundamentally fucked up. But Mm. we have, you know, we have Virginia, we have Lauren Bacall. We know that that's not the ethos of this world. It's Annie specifically, Mm -hmm. right? Right. Um, But I just always I, I feel like thrillers are so, as a genre, are so guilty of perpetuating stereotypes about specific mental illnesses, and it's always like. Uh, you know, the beginning of midsummer. they're like, bipolar disease killed the family and yeah. mm-hmm, shit like that. I-, I just always appreciate when there is a, you know, diabolical character when a text does not attribute that to to a mental illness because sure. it just like I agree. always does so much. But I-, I mean, people have certainly speculated around Annie Wilkes' character, but I don't think it's ever mentioned in the book or the movie. It's mm-hmm. just like, well... This is just what she's like. <laughs> she's just, this is just who she is. Yeah, because that always be herself. ends
3: up... <laughs> that always ends up villainizing specific mental illnesses and I would argue just mental illness in general. For sure, and, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, like, again, the way that she is presented visually is the way that, like, queer coding uh, a villain demonizes queerness. I think that the way mm-hmm. that she's not even coded, just like the way that she is presented visually ends up villainizing uh, a number of attributes a person can have as far as like age and, and body type and things like that. Uh, and then there's there are parts where... She's like, "Oh, Paul, I I love you and you're perfect and you're so brilliant, but you would never love someone like me." Mm, yeah. She says something like, "Well, I'm, you know, I'm a I'm a nobody. Uh, you know, I'm not this like famous writer like you, but I think that there's also subtext there where it's like, "Well, you know, I'm not this young, beautiful, you know, traditionally beautiful woman." Oh,
0: for sure. Yeah, she's very insecure. Mm-hmm. She's very insecure as it pertains to a lot of areas in her life. But I think especially to her her looks and how she comes off mm-hmm. and you know, she's very in her head about all of it. And that, and that is ultimately what Paul Sheldon is able to kind of use mm-hmm. in order to get his way and try to escape the situation. He plays on that. Right. And he's like, okay, she's insecure. Yeah. So I'm going to play into it. No, you are beautiful. No, I do love you. No, mm-hmm. this, this paper is great. Of course, I'm grateful for everything you've done for me. Like he plays into Um, boosting her self-esteem and her Mm self-confidence in order to get what he wants.
3: Which also feels like kind of a gendered thing (laughs) to me. Yeah, yeah. The way that, like, I don't know, like a lot of women are characterized in movies where they just, like, need a lot of, like, emotional reassurance and because Mm -hmm. women are so emotional and, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm articulating that well, but...
2: No, I see what you mean. I mean, it's like, again, it's, I think the, this movie's strength and what makes it like a little challenging to have a discussion about is like, there's so many different ways to read it Mm -hmm. where I think like for sure he's playing on her insecurities and, and like you're just kind of getting at of like how, how it like Annie is a very smart character she mm-hmm. like catches mm-hmm. him at every turn and <laughs> my accepts- penguin
3: always faces due south <laughs> yeah. first of all a woman knowing her cardinal directions that's feminism wild <laughs> that's, wild
2: <laughs> that's final wave feminism which way is the penguin facing so like but she she catches him in all this shit she's very observant like there he should not survive this ordeal right mm-hmm. but except for when he is manipulating her insecurities about herself and manipulating her crush on him and her like obsessive nature around him right. and then all of a sudden it's like logic goes out the window and she is not this hyper observant character that we know she is and that does feel a little pointed mm-hmm. um but and you can come at that from the super fan perspective where I kept trying to like flip it in my mind where I'm like, I guess like there is a, a, a fun, I don't know. Like when I was watching it, I was like, Ooh, what if this happened to like someone writing an MCU movie and they were just kidnapped by one of those guys on Twitter. <laughs> oh, you mean a misery cinematic universe? Yeah. Yeah. in the misery cinematic universe. No, <laughs> but like, what if Jeff Loveness was, uh, was kidnapped by, an by, uh, someone on Twitter and like, mm-hmm. how would that play out? And, but, but Which, uh, and that mental exercise confirmed to me that it is kind of a gendered dynamic between the two of them. That like, you know, when she, because we are conditioned to believe that this character is not going to be loved in the way she wants, Mm -hmm. when she receives that kind of attention, everything we know about her goes out the window because she's receiving affection. There's
3: also like,
2: there are certain aspects of
3: her character that and let me know if i'm way off here but there there are things that like you know she lives on a farm she's surrounded by farm animals she drives Uh like i want to say like a jeep cherokee like the and like the way the way she dresses is like like all this sort of masculine there are certain things about her character that are more kind of markers of traditional masculinity Mm. Uh, there are implications there where it's like oh any any woman who kind of presents in a more masculine way something's wrong with her that also ends up getting demonized yeah by right by this movie
2: but then also she is kind of like beloved in her community so, so that's like the other side of it is like she plays on this is something I really like is like she plays on people's expectations about her constantly mm-hmm. in order to be like I don't know I just have uh, been in the middle of reading a book about female serial killers and mm-hmm. uh, just having a normal week everyone um yeah, yeah. i was
0: like that sounds Stay, interesting
2: staying in a la quinta fatal attraction <laughs> look i i have no plans to do anything mm-hmm. uh i'm not plotting uh but but <laughs> a common That'd like hurt. thing that specifically women who kill do is like play on people's expectations of them of like oh i'm you know me i'm i'm just uh you know i'm a middle-aged lady i i raise pigs on a farm what do yeah, you mean what, i'm what not a killer right which her community buys completely even though she's a well-documented murderer <laughs> Every, everyone has a scrapbook full of her murders um <laughs> so it isn't until buster's like wait a second isn't that the murder lady like that <laughs> that that it comes up like so she does she like plays this whole community based on society's like go-to of underestimating what she could possibly be capable of positive or negative and she even like she even gets Paul at the beginning where she like mm-hmm. is she's got him in a bed she says you know I'm a nurse and he he believe I mean and she I guess she is technically a nurse she's a bad one but <laughs> Yeah. But like he, he But that is her job. But he buys it. He buys that like, oh, she's just like this yeah. nice lady. She's going to take care of me because that is like what you would be conditioned to believe. She's going to take care of me. Um there's no reason to mistrust her. Right, right. I have to look up this. Okay, so the the female not to give a female serial killer a shout out, but it reminded me a lot of the same kind of uh the book calls her the giggling grandma, Nanny <laughs> Doss. But oh, wow. the deal with Nanny Doss, she was in the um she was kind of like the first, like the first woman serial killer to be like on TV in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Um but she was a middle-aged to slightly over middle-aged woman who had killed four or five of her husbands in a row Mm. but she presented as like i'm just a sweet lady what do you mean and Mm -hmm. like she was received in the press like she's not really very well remembered i didn't know she existed but like she's just presented as kind of like a joke even on tv she's committed five murders and everyone's like look at this grandma who can't stop poisoning her husband and you're like this is horrible (laughs) yeah right Uh, but it's like but she built this whole media image of herself based on people's, you know, assumptions to underestimate her. And even when she right. was like outed as a outed as a murderer, I don't know <laughs> if that's the right thing. <laughs> but even when she was like, you know, found to be a murderer of a ton of people, people were still kind of like, Haha, isn't this like weird and gross that this older woman is doing this? And you're like, mm, it's kind of gross that anyone's doing it. Why, I mean, murder is, it, like, is maybe yes, not good. It's- M- murder bad. Yeah. Um. So there the way
3: that like society tends to desexualize mothers like a a, you know a woman who is like Mm -hmm. who is like raising a family and and like Mm -hmm. raising children and and again like aging women it feels to me like those sort of like stereotypes of what we expect like a mother to look like Mm -hmm. are given to annie and that makes her less threatening at first that makes her seem like an, a not formidable opponent you know that's why yeah. james con you know paul at the beginning is like oh i am in good hands like she's a nurse uh-huh. she's mm-hmm. this like middle-aged woman who seems like she's taking care of me she puts splints on my also the like prosthetics that they put on his legs to make his legs look like broken and bruised and everything like that are so icky Um, uh, but yeah like he has no reason not to trust her at first based solely on just kind of like societal expectations of women in kind of caregiver roles that we perceive to be as like very unthreatening because of like gender norms and these societal expectations so I still don't know what to make of that from a like narrative point of view and from like a feminist point
2: of view mm.
3: but it's interesting
2: I feel like there's a lot of ways to come at it because it's like they're also I was like I you know I was like I had to admit to myself obviously you know anti-murder but (laughs) brave brave of you thank you so much Uh, but in the world of this movie like it is a little bit cathartic to just like as an idea to have this woman who is like that's why I really liked the speech where she's like I know you don't love me like don't bullshit me I know Mm -hmm. that you're like lying to me I know that you go for these you know like Hollywood type girls or whatever it is she says Mm -hmm. and then to see someone clearly articulate that of like, you're full of shit and then uh, break their ankles. That's, uh, you know. Feminist. I was like, is that a, hashtag feminist win? <laughs> I don't know. But like seeing that as, cause you can look at that interaction as like, oh, she is the unhinged woman. And like, it's implied that a woman who looks like her and is her age could not possibly be loved Or you can look at it as, like, here's a a woman who has been told her whole life, because of how she looks, that she is not going to have the life that she wants uh, Mm -hmm. because of her gender and because of how she looks and as she ages because of her age. And, like, just taking out that frustration on someone who's full of shit. (laughs) And, like, Mm -hmm. that's also really fun. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. I have a quote from Stephen King. um, And he's using – I mean, we – are, it's hard, especially when you're reading stuff about this movie, to. We want to be uh, mindful about um, language around mental health. Mm-hmm. So I'm. Quoting Stephen King here, mm-hmm. uh, but he's he says that Annie quote may seem psychopathic to us, but it's important to remember that she seems perfectly sane and reasonable to herself. Heroic, in fact, a beleaguered woman trying to suffer in a hostile or trying to survive in a hostile world full of cockadoodie brats. Unquote. Cock. Uh, wait, what did he say? a cock-a-doodie? cockadoodie. I think he's just like quoting how Annie talks. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. <laughs> of how she like uses all these weird. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) i don't think stephen king minds swearing i did really laugh at the part where uh annie
3: gives him the typewriter for the first time and she's like fix your book and he just types (laughs) fuck over and over and over again
2: (laughs) i was like yeah been there (laughs) Uh, which feels like i was like god yeah stephen king loves uh every time i worry i'm like oh am i writing myself too much into this and then you're like well so many Steve like every Stephen King not every but a lot of them have like I'm a writer and writing is hard and like that's the shining and misery <laughs> well speaking of the shining I think
3: we'd be having a different conversation if every single one of Stephen King's books and like movie adaptations followed this formula of like unhinged woman abducts man and is scary and all women are scary and murderers but yeah something like the shining which we covered again a few years ago is about Mm -hmm. a writer who is a man he's the one who becomes increasingly more unstable and scary and abusive and murdery and his wife his wife is the victim here and like so we're rooting for right. her and she's she's the character in, in that story who you know we're like rooting for her survival and to escape this very abusive man. So there's enough yeah, you know, like a uh, variety in Stephen King's work that this just seems like an example of oh, well, sometimes there are
2: scary women. And this is just a story about yeah. one of them. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll I'll shoehorn another podcast recommendation in here. Oh, You're wrong about just did an episode where mm-hmm. uh, Sarah Marshall, friend of the cast, is talking about um, serial killers and how serial killers are sort of characterized by gender or or race or by just any attribute they have and how the white male serial killer, um, while historically the most incompetent of them <laughs> all, um, like even in serial killing, um, it's still very much like there's a fucking Jeffrey Dahmer series that just came out. Like there's, it's mm-hmm. yeah. still the white male serial killer. And that is too, I feel like I'm sounding very scary. I was with Sarah and she gave me the book about serial killers and we watched Fatal Attraction together. It was all for her Okay, work. Jamie, sure, sounds like a cover up. Uh, I'm oh. not gonna kill anybody, I swear. <laughs> we were at the La Quinta together. Definitely also- not dismembering a body. Um- <laughs> also,
3: I left this out of the recap, but there's what I felt was like a very clever thing for Annie to do. When she, when Sheriff Buster comes over to Sheriff look around her house, she fabricates this story of like, oh, yes, I, I am such a huge fan of Paul Sheldon. And I, you know, I received this message from God that I should carry on his work now that he is presumed dead. And that's why I have this typewriter and this paul sheldon manuscript because i wrote it you know like she's like diabolical (laughs) yeah but like the way she covers her tracks is like i don't know i just thought that was very clever and so she is a very like we said she's a very smart character she's not incompetent she just does get
0: and she had a good strategy like the strategy Mm -hmm. was actually pretty solid yeah she and and she kept him there how long was he there I would guess at least a month. Like, it's... Yeah, like, do we know the exact time? Like, how long he's... I
2: don't think so. It seems like a while. Because they had to do some, like, montages of, like, time. He writes a whole
0: book. book. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's more than a month. I don't know how... I don't think it's, like, six months. But I think it's a little bit...
3: More. it could be a couple months three months yeah because his legs also like heal and yeah he has time to write yeah. a full
2: <laughs> manuscript she, she's so i mean it's like she's so good that i it's just like wild that in in the world it doesn't feel unrealistic somehow that like Buster enters the house knowing she's a murderer and she still is able to charm him hard enough that he's about yeah. to leave the house. Like if 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 James Conn hadn't made noise from the basement, mm-hmm. he would have left. It, it's just like if she's yeah, she's good at what she does. <sighs> she's smart. I also wanted to I, I agree with that you say. What you were saying, Caitlin, about Stephen King's—you um, know—just like writing, kind of just mm-hmm. like a wide variety of killers and mm-hmm. uh, crime doers. He certainly has stuff that it is not relevant to this discussion. Sure, we'll talk about it another time. But also, I mean, this—the production of this movie—it's white guys up and down. Uh, oh yeah. However, however, it is like at least you know you like you're saying Stephen King. Does write a wide variety of women and a wide variety of villains. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Rob Reiner and William Goldman also have a pretty good track record with, Mm -hmm. um, you know, not being shy about like centering women in their work and not being like known as like hyper masculine um, writer Mm -hmm. directors. It feels like, Mm -hmm. you know, if if it's got to be the three straight white guys and according to Hollywood, it did always does, especially <laughs> when it's 1990.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. And I think it's good to note too, that like, you know, I see misery as being a film with a female lead, a strong female lead. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. even misery is, is a woman. And it's yeah, she's like, the
3: hero of that series.
0: Yeah. So to me, it's like, it's, it's, Strong female leads in the book and in the film that's right exploring the book that Paul Sheldon wrote, but also this is based on a book that Stephen King it's all very confusing but it's (laughs) female leads for sure
2: I I would read those books yeah I was like I I I wish someone I wonder if that ever happened you know sometimes they're like oh this fake book and then Mm -hmm. someone actually writes Mm it oh yeah right read the misery books she sounds like a badass and (laughs) she does I think that's great
3: that's the misery like cinematic universe that we need
2: yeah and controversially I liked Annie's punch-up of the misery story not saying it was all worth it but I'm saying I liked her. I liked her version. She had some she good thoughts. She had some good notes. She did. She had some ideas. She was. A, I loved oh, the, Kathy Bates' delivery of, like, I knew Misery was a member of Nobility. <laughs> and you're
0: just like, yeah. oh,
2: yeah. she's the best. Also, the way that, you know, audiences remember
3: horror movies for their villains way more than their protagonists who are, like, right. you know, the victims of the villains. For sure. And, and while, you know, like, Paul is like just as resourceful as annie and you know he's got the bobby pin he like stockpiles the drug the medicine he mm-hmm. you know is able to procure a knife at some point he's also smart and resourceful but we remember misery for the kathy bates character we remember it for, for sure. annie and her taking a sledgehammer to his ankles mm-hmm. uh far more i i think at least than anyone remembers like oh, james Conn's character definitely so yeah it's her movie oh uh, and just another shout out to Kathy Bates.
0: Kathy Bates. She's amazing. An icon. She's amazing. And, you know, they talk about her being basically, you know, quote unquote, undiscovered at that time. Like she was, mm-hmm. you know, she wasn't a name per se. Which is so wide. All you need is a chance, you know. That's all you need, mm-hmm. and I think this is a great example of that. And she delivered. Oh yeah!
2: H- holy shit, did she? Uh, and, and and then she won an odd like Oscar for her first like big Hollywood role. It's yeah. Uh, it's she's
3: awesome. Wonderful. Yeah. Is there anything else anyone wants to talk about? Um,
2: I don't think so. I mean, as far as the other women in the movie. You know, I, I like that there are women in roles. This is like a super, super white movie, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, which it does not have to be. Uh, no, for for other female characters, we have we have Lauren Bacall, who mm-hmm. is great. Uh, I I feel like her character, you know, like was properly motivated to like save her clients and also i just love Mm -hmm. agent characters because it's always like the subtext is like i need to save my 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 money pile not my person Mm -hmm. i care about um (laughs) Uh always a fun character um Mm -hmm. and then you have virginia who's an icon a legend and i am bummed that they did not like she how does she how does she react when she finds out Buster has been <gasps> her, uh, you know, shot? shot and or run over with a tractor <sighs> in the book? Mm.
0: And or oh god, yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Poor Virginia. Also a horny icon. She's trying
2: to she's trying to jerk yeah, her husband off at like, work. At, <laughs> Good <for> her. <clears throat> Pretty cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I love I think the women in the movie all what i do like about i guess it's three right it's yeah 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 Uh, is that they're all in my opinion very strong characters still they're women Mm -hmm. with a mission obviously you know annie played by kathy bates's mission is not a good one not a good mission um (laughs) not a mission we are rooting for Mm -mm. but a mission nonetheless you know what i mean they're very active character And they're all <laughs> smart. Mm-hmm. They all have things figured out. They all, you know, are kind of a step ahead of whatever, you know. For th- So I like that I-, I can say that all of them are strong and motivated in their own rights. Mm-hmm. I-, I really like that. For yeah. Sure. Nobody felt like a vapid, unnecessary character or a character used for to be like a sex symbol or to, you know, Mm -hmm. to lure, lure the guys to the theater. Like I, 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 I like, (laughs) I like that they, the, all the characters felt very strong, but also very, and I like the casting of them too. I think that Mm -hmm, they, they give that as well. They're, they're giving, we care about the character, not so much what they look like. And, And as an actor, I I always, those are roles that I'm drawn to, but also it's, it's roles that I appreciate seeing on screen where Mm -hmm. I can say, yes, this woman is beautiful or strong, whatever, but what matters is not just what she looks like. She's saying something, she's doing something, she has Mm -hmm. real motivations. And I like that I can say that about all three, all three of the women.
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And just like the fact that it's like, like you're saying, Ashley, like, there are three women who are over 40 and we know what their jobs are and their jobs are important to what they're doing at all times. Very like, important
0: mm-hmm. and important to the story. Like yeah. it's important to, it's important that his agent is like, no, like he's missing what's going on. It's important that Virginia is like, Buster, something's going on here. I don't know. I'm going to, you know, it's important that Kathy Bates, uh, you know, Annie has this mission of, Getting Paul Sheldon to do what she wants him to do, whether again, it's there's murder, you know, she's we don't murdering agree people with her and it's, but <laughs> she's you know, yeah. sledgehammering off ankles, you know, there's a lot <laughs> of bad stuff happening, mm-hmm. but everyone's motivation is very clear, yeah, and I, right. I bang with that, yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, for sure. And it's like there are three female characters, but there's also not a lot of men, it's just a pretty small cast in general, like, yeah, 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 because it's like there's like what six people in this movie, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't know what our listeners were expecting, but this movie does rock. Uh yeah, it is. It rocks and it Pretty rolls cool. and it rules.
0: Uh, it rocks it, and rolls
2: and rules. Yeah. <laughs> I
3: that I will give uh credit to Jamie for that because I heard you say that one time and I was like, that's a good
2: Oh, my mom used to say that uh when I did my homework. <laughs> oh I love It that. rocks and rolls and rules. <laughs> at rocks rolls and rules oh
0: jill i also misery is also just a movie i don't know anyone who's seen it and doesn't like it like i've mm-hmm. never heard one person yeah. be like oh, i hate misery never want to see that again like i've never heard someone say that
2: mm-hmm. all right is there uh, any any other anything we haven't touched on I think that's all I have. Same. Oh I wrote oh I wrote um okay, here's some of my worst thoughts I had. <laughs> Please. Okay. Uh the original parasocial relationship cautionary tale. Okay, we talked about that. Yeah. Okay, here's my other thing. Mm-hmm. Feminist icon the piss jug
3: question mark. hundred percent. Feminist icon the piss jug. I can't
2: believe we've been talking for an hour and a half and we haven't brought up the piss jug.
3: In a in a really funny scene where she's just like kind of flinging it around I think it has a lid on it so there's no danger of the piss you're gonna want flying to a out. The piss jug. but there's the, the like the cinematography in that scene is so focused on the piss jug and Paul like, James Caan watching the piss jug thinking that it's gonna spill all over Being him like, please don't spill my <laughs> piss
0: on
2: me uh also cinematographer Barry Sonnenfeld yes wild
3: the, you know a lot of talent in this movie
2: yeah yeah I liked I mean as someone who um has has done uh some piss jug caretaking in my day I appreciated piss jug representation yeah because it's a it's a part of the gig
3: (laughs) incredible um well this movie I do not believe actually passes the Bechdel test unless you do count the conversation that Annie and her pig named Misery, so we know the yeah. pig's name. They do kind of <laughs> snort and oink around each other.
2: I would say it 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 like doesn't pass, but also no. that this is we've talked about this for years even though some people never want to hear it. But like the just like the fact that like this this metric was created as like a bit and it doesn't, you know, it's not the end all be all. Yeah, it doesn't decide if something is you know, overtly feminist or not. Right. Um, But what does is decide that Mm -hmm. is
3: our nipple scale Mm -hmm. Mm. on which we rate the movie zero to five nipples examining the movie through an intersectional feminist lens. Now this one is another very tricky one because of the different ways that you can examine this movie. Could you argue that Annie Wilkes is a like reclaimable, you know, female villain because she's so smart and because she's always one step ahead and, you know, for any number of other reasons. I think, yes. Sure. I can see that argument. Could you make the argument that it's another example of, you know, villainizing an older woman, an unmarried woman with no children, a woman whose appearance and body size doesn't conform to rigid western beauty standards and that those attributes being kind of used to demonize her yes sure uh there there's lots of things and then when you think back to stephen king's original intention which he revealed some years later was that this is you know the annie character is a metaphor for his addiction Uh that there's a whole other lens by which you can Um, watch the story but then those implications still exist as far as like her character goes and the way that she is characterized so right right I don't know there's I can't really come to a conclusive thought because I I really like this movie I don't think it's saying something like all women are scary and unhinged because we see other characters in the movie who are very much not that so it's just I think some people are very scary and murderers and sometimes those people are women and here is a story about one such woman and in a way that's feminism and that's actually feminism <laughs> yeah. um you know there are some as we've discussed some like kind of gendered things and you know like kind of stereotypical tropes at play but this is not the worst example we've seen um, especially in this era in horror movies thriller movies in this era Mm. across the kind of you know genre spectrum even so yeah and so I'm gonna do what I normally do when I don't know how to rate a movie and that's just do a split down the middle of 2.5 nipples Ah. Uh, I will give (laughs) one to Kathy Bates and her incredible performance um, I will give another one to Kathy Bates and her incredible performance in Titanic as the unsinkable Molly Brown. And I'll give my half nipple Ooh. to misery, the pig.
2: Oh, <laughs> I've, I'm tempted to go in my, I was like, if I was really going buck wild, mm. I would go three and a half. I think I'm going to go three. Okay. Sure. Because I do think that there are like we, we've we discussed, there are a lot of, Tropes about women who are not traditionally, you know, Hollywood hot and young uh, Mm -hmm. that are being leveraged as like a shorthand to explain why Annie Wilkes is the way she is. Mm -hmm. However, I think we also get a lot of explanation as to why Annie Wilkes is the way she is that would also work if you cast a traditional hot Hollywood actress. Like Mm -hmm. she's just like implicitly evil. And Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. there's so many ways to look at this movie. I feel like the fact that, you know, over 30 years later, we're able to still have such a rich discussion about like what she could mean and all the different ways to look at this character speaks very well of it. And especially of like Kathy Bates' performance. But obviously, there are tropes at play that, you know, you could watch the movie and think the movie's commenting on, or you could watch the movie and think that the movie is completely playing into. And Mm -hmm. it's just a it's a tricky one mm-hmm. um, but of the Stephen King adaptations I think that' this is like I mean definitely up there is one of my favorites mm-hmm. I don't know. Of what my favorite Stephen King adaptation is. I know that I get very horny for Bill Skarsgard. Hmm. So that's oh, just... in okay. it as Mr. It. <laughs> Not in it specifically, but just in general. Okay. But that kind of has nothing to do with the quality of the movie. So it's complicated.
3: Wait, have you seen Barbarian yet? Just as quick little side note. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah.
2: Oh. Okay. Is it good? It's really good. I rather liked it, yeah. Okay. I enjoyed mm-hmm. it. It's a fun. It's like it's a I think it's my Halloween movie of of the the year year. so far. Uh But yeah, I mean, I think that this movie is still so ripe for discussion in a way that a lot of movies from this era aren't. Mm -hmm. So, i'm gonna give it three and i still am like do i think three and a half i don't know but ultimately it is like it's a movie that you know it's you know straight white guys all the the way all the way down there's no real diversity of talent behind the camera which always sucks to see or in front of the camera (laughs) or in front of the camera (laughs) um i meant gender wise as well like there's yeah, but it's shout in- out to the
3: um, I think one person of color in the movie who is a reporter mm-hmm. who is a black woman mm-hmm. saying that Paul Sheldon is presumed dead. Yes, that I believe is the only. Where's her
2: spinoff? <laughs> Where is her spinoff? Where's uh... her spinoff? <laughs> but yeah, I think I'll I'll go three nipples uh, and mm-hmm. I'll give I'll give one to Annie, one to Misery the Pig, and one to Misery the character. Mm-hmm. Or alternatively, I give all of them to Virginia and she can use the spare like a tire.
3: Yes, good.
2: Good, good. Mm-hmm. Ashley, how about you?
0: I I love both of the arguments and <laughs> I actually agree very much so with you both. I think I'm giving it three nipples. Mm-hmm. I'm giving it to the three female leads in the movie. Hell yeah. I think that's why it gets three. The agent, you know, Virginia, Buster's wife, and, you know, Lauren Bacall, obviously is agent, and um, to Kathy Bates. I think that, you know, they're all very important, useful, like I said, strong characters in the movie. And I think that because of that, I'm giving it three to represent all all three of them.
2: Nice, hell
3: yeah, for
0: sure wonderful.
2: Ashley, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thanks for having me. Thank you
2: for bringing us this movie. Yeah.
0: Talking about misery <laughs> on a Monday. Exactly.
2: What better time
3: <laughs> and, and come back anytime to talk about any other film. Yes.
0: Thank you so much. You guys are just incredibly brilliant and cool. Oh, stop um, it. Uh,
3: are you our number one fan? Yes. No, there? I'm obsessed. I mean,
0: talking about anything <laughs> films and women i mean it's right up my alley so this is great uh, come back anytime we'd love to
2: have you back thank
3: you <laughs> where can people follow you online and have a healthy
0: parasocial relationship oh, with yeah. you? <laughs> you can follow me um on instagram and twitter at ashley blaine and then my podcast um at trials to triumphs pod um on both yeah
3: awesome yes please check ashley out You can follow us on social media at BechtelCast on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to our Patreon, a.k.a. Matreon, at patreon.com slash BechtelCast, where you get two bonus episodes every single month. This month we are doing spooky movies, uh, so of course we are doing final destination three we have not covered one or two nor Tanning will we bed, <laughs> bed. Um, and as well as uh malignant the james wan masterpiece yes
2: feminist masterpiece by mr james wan
3: uh, and that's five dollars a month and you also get access to the back catalog and sorry there's a siren because that's buster and virginia uh, coming to save oh me my.
2: i've been trapped this yeah. whole time <laughs> copaganda copaganda got us again didn't it uh, okay <sighs> Uh, You can also get our merch over at tpublic.com slash the Bechdel cast if you're so inclined to get merch. And and with that, uh, let's go publish a bestseller but be haunted by the ghost of Annie Wilkes for the rest of our lives. Let's do it.
0: I do not sign up for that. (laughs) I don't want that. (laughs) Count me out.
2: Fair, 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 fair.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, bye-bye.
0: Bye. Hello!